in a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. What's up, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Top 10. I am John Roca. And I am Matt Nose. We are here to bring you another movie discussion show this week. A topic provided to us by Charles Clark, one of our patrons. We're talking about movies set in Vegas. Uh, but uh, how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm just kind of uh, dealing with a little more of the uh, winter coming here. You can sense the fall already here on the West Coast. Uh, 60 degrees uh, we woke up this morning, and I know some of y'all in the Midwest would take a shit on 60 degrees, claiming that it's cold. But for us out here, that our blood is thinned, it is uh, very cold. But it's my kind of weather, man. Plus, it's raining today, which is one of my favorite oh, weather. So down I'm, there? I'm good. Man, it's, huh? it is a blue sky up here. It's raining Oh, for you there? guys? Yeah. No, it was, it's been raining all morning here. So it's nice. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it rained the other night. Mm. Um. But uh, yeah, nothing here. I was just opening up the weather and be like, "Oh, is it gonna travel up here next? Like, what's going on with the the weather?" I hadn't seen that we were potentially gonna get rain. Welcome to Weather Talk. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, we got nothing else to talk about but the weather. What the hell? Well, I mean, as far as the cold, yeah. The only reason the two of us bring it up is it's cold in both our houses. Like, I'm it in is. a hoodie. I'm yes. sitting on an electric heating pad. Yeah, because our furnace is in opera, not operating right now. Yeah. Uh, so it, I mean, it's cold as sh- I woke up and it was fifty something in my house. So that's cold. I don't give a shit who you are. It's one thing when it's outside and it's toasty, seventy degrees in your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another thing when you wake up and you're like, it is freezing in here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let, hopefully it warms up enough outside. But I don't. It's not gonna be that warm a day. So it's cold in my house. That's a very good point. Very good point. Matt, knows we gotta talk about this. I don't know how what much you wade into this, but uh, is it the, what whether or not you're going to keep your blue check mark? John, are you going to pay the subscription? Is that we got to talk about it? Until it happens, I'm not dealing with it. I see all these people yeah. flipping out about it and tweeting about it, and I'm like, dude, I first of all, my following is so small compared to those people, or minuscule compared to those people who are, you know, chiming in about it, like Stephen King and whatever. So. I I got no problem. I'm just chilling out. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm. I'm we'll see what happens. Blue check mark or not, I think some people are valid in saying like, look, if you're good enough, people will still follow you whether you got the blue check mark. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I've seen other people losing thousands of followers who have, have huge follower bases, and it may be about bots. It may be about them forcing people to unfollow. I don't know what the situation is there, but it is. It is absolute. Uh, it's a rodeo out there right now on Twitter, man. It's it's crazy, but. I'm just posting what I can post and uh, rolling on. Try not to be too controversial lately um, after that Andor situation. So I'm just fucking chilling out right now and uh, hanging out. And so, uh, yeah, I got no until they say it's happening. I don't want to deal with it is basically my mentality. Yeah, it seems like one of those things of you give the worst case of what you're never going to do so that people accept a lesser version of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. So I I think it's it's a. 
a shock and awe tactic, which is like, what? No, that's crazy. And I come up and say, actually, it's going to be, you know, $3 a month. And you're like, wow, three, I mean, $3 a month isn't so bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm paying for Twitter blue. It's like five bucks a month, but it's, you know, it helps me edit tweets. Like I said, after that Andor tweet, I think I realized, okay, I need to be able to edit my tweets. Um, Cause yeah, you gotta be aware of when you, how you come across. And certainly that was not my intention with that tweet. So I was like, all right, in the future, I will be able to edit this shit. Uh, when I, uh, you know, kind of put it a little bit too aggressively than I need to, but the, but the idea of paying for the extra stuff just to have it, I, it's amazing to me how many people without the blue check mark don't understand what it means. It is not about how Elon Musk painted it, this idea of lords and ladies versus the peasants. First of all, a billionaire shouldn't be talking about peasants at all. Fuck him. Second of all, this idea that um, it's about that is is so off base uh, because it's really about and this gentleman, Rob Kaczynski, tweeted a whole thread about it, who rarely tweets, by the way, but he had a whole thread about it. And he said it was if people were you before the blue check mark, people were using his name to lure young children because I think he's a, ch- a children's book author to lure young children into situations um, or cause like conversations with them online that they were catfishing them. And so for him, it was a very powerful thing to use it to make people make people aware of who he is and validate his identity. That's what it is. It's about validating the identity. The fact that it elevates your tweet or whatever into the pile, that's just an indirect result of it. But it really is about validating your identity in case there's anybody who wants it. And I've seen Mark Ellis have to tweet about people who take his name and create false accounts on Twitter or Instagram under his name. Danny's done that. A few people have done that. And so I you know I'm not anywhere near big enough that for them, to, for the, anybody to care about doing that with me, but it was more a matter of like, okay, I might as well do this just in case. So, you know, uh, that's the approach, but so many people are like, yeah, why should your opinion matter? It should be equal. The same people who are crying about socialism are out here saying it should be equal. It should be equal. And it's like, well, no, that's not how it works. You know? So I'm, <laughs> I can understand the basis of what they're trying to say, mm-hmm. but yeah, the verifying the identity, especially, you know, to differentiate from like news sources, you need yeah, to yeah. know that this is coming from somebody where they've done the due diligence yeah. to try and fact check whatever they're putting out. Now they, they screw up just like everyone screws up at some yeah. point. Uh, but it's just, I don't know. To then charge for it, I, they got to generate revenue. Be curious as to what happens to Twitter in the very near future. Yeah, um, I like what Trevor Noah said. Just charge every white person for using the N word on Twitter, and you'd make your money back uh, hand <laughs> over foot. You know, it's like, yeah, that's actually very, very true. If you charge them, what do you want to charge? Fifty cents, <laughs> buck? Uh, eight? What? Twenty dollars every time you use it. Every time you use it, you're charged that. I think you'd make more money if you lowered the threshold of what you're charging. Oh, really? Like five bucks? Then more it, people would. Because they would be like, well, I can use that four times. As Five bucks doesn't seem as detrimental to like, shit, $20 a pop. I really got to mean this. Well, that's the like, whole point. You're trying to encourage them not to use it, man, not to make money on I, uh, it. Look, you were just saying we want to make generate revenue. I'm trying to help you generate. Yeah, it's like a, a passive fair. subscription so maybe versus. A maybe a 10. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, if I think you made it a dollar, you probably get like seven, eight bucks out of certain tweets. That's you know? true. That's true. It was just one tweet. Yeah, it's a yeah. fair point. Just one. And then that person rifles off seven tweets in an hour. Yeah. Boy, you just made $50. Yeah. Uh, he's, I'm he's, not advocating for any of this, by the way. <laughs> no, of course not. No. Uh, 
but uh yeah I, I like that idea good for you trevor yeah i thought that was funny too yeah it's it's unfortunate man i mean because it seemed to come out of nowhere like it seemed like he was done with it he wasn't gonna buy it then he all of a sudden just was oh he was forced to he had to he was under yeah. legal obligation so once it came through <sighs> that like twitter was on the up and up about everything and you just stalling because you, once you saw the financials it wasn't as rosy as you were anticipating yeah. that's my guess at least and then he was trying to find ways to back out by saying like oh well you didn't tell me that some percentage of the user base were all bots and they're like you had access to we gave you yeah it was all full legal. access to our number. yeah it was all there uh yeah so eventually they, uh, he was got between a rock and a hard place and then uh yeah they got some of that saudi money and paid 44 billion for uh, twitter and here we go yeah the government's new world order so we'll see yeah but it's, oh, yeah. it's it's all a shit show man i mean it's the scene if this is going to turn into a yahoo situation where it gets bought at a high valuation and then three years down the line gets sold for a pittance yeah yeah which which could happen yeah why not uh, but and and people don't have anywhere else to go and there's no like ready-made other social network that rivals what you've got with twitter i mean you fucked you with social it's barely alive and what's the other one? The one that they're trying tribal like or whatever. Tribal, yeah. and then there's another one that people are uh, trying to yeah, yeah to push. But, but I think tribal, but, the owners of I, someone was I, I saw a tweet like here's tribal, but then the creator yeah. is yeah, someone yeah. that you know. Do you want to put your faith in that individual? Yeah, eh, you might. You stuff. might not. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know much beyond it because I was just like, hey, I don't care. Right. 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 Um, yeah, just rolling, just rolling with it, man. I mean, I, I lost like 150 followers after he took over. So it was just like, oh, it was weird. So, but it was nowhere near, you know, what other people have lost. So it's like, okay, fuck it. We'll just keep doing our thing, see what happens, you know. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. Um, a nice try to delay tactic, though, because uh, we are going to talk about this Kyrie situation. Come on, man. And this Ime Odoka situation. What are your feelings on all of this, man? This is madness. For those Same as everyone know, else. For those of you who may not know, Kyrie tweeted something out where um, a link to a book or a or film actually. It was a, a documentary. To, to a documentary. And the documentary had some anti Semitic tropes in it. Um, he There's was a asked, direct quote from Hitler in the documentary. <laughs> there you go. He was asked to take it down. Yeah. Basically talking about that black people are the real Jews yeah. and the, the U.S. is, in essence, like, well, I can't remember the phrasing because I read it once and it was so baffling that that would be in there. Yeah. But basically like Hitler was praising these uh, black Americans as being the real Jews. And we're not taking, uh, or not taking, but uh, we're not utilizing them, them as members of our society Yeah, yeah. to the degree that we, we should and all that. And we're like, we're talking about Hitler here, right? Mr. <laughs> so we're all in the blonde hair, blue eyes throwing praise to, Black Jewish people here in the States? Like, does this not ring a lot of alarm bells for it? To, I, I can't imagine this is true yeah. that he ever said this. It's uh, it's a much more complex thing. To, and you, you have to spend a lot of time, like, reading all this stuff and to come up with a fully, like, you know, um, knowledgeable opinion about all this kind of shit. And there's nothing wrong with having your opinions about all this kind of stuff. But there's a responsibility when you're a person of fame and celebrity which you strove to achieve by being great at what you wanted to do in a public forum like the NBA. It's like the NBA showed up yesterday. It's been around for decades, and you know the popularity of it. And when he said, when he was going back and forth with that ESPN reporter trying to claim that he wasn't promoting the movie by tweeting Yeah, that was nonsense. 
that's the stupidest thing. And if Shaq and Charles are agreeing to take you out, then you know you fucked up. So, yeah, Adam Silver said he's going to talk with them this week. Uh, yeah. Kyrie, the you Nets, in the, I think it's the ACLU. I'll yeah. put out a joint yeah. statement. No, Anti-defamation and, league. The uh, yeah, anti-defamation league. And yeah. Kyrie and the Nets are each going to donate like half a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then he was quoted with reporters basically saying like, it just because I put that tweet out and recommended that doc doesn't mean I agree with everything in the doc. Yeah. It kind of does, man. Yeah. It kind of does. When you use your voice to elevate the platform of that, you're saying, I agree with this. Even if you don't, you didn't put a disclaimer in there saying, Hey, minutes 22 through 27 are on the money. The rest of it. I'm not sure about (laughs) had you done that. Be like, okay, well, that's a whole no problem. Yeah. yeah, I'll focus on that. And then the rest may be nonsense, but there could, yeah. There could be a kernel of truth in the middle of this this quagmire of of you know anti-Semitism. Yeah. Uh I haven't watched it. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. to say that you're not vouching for and then uh, agreeing with is is nonsense. It's I a big know. time cop out. It's a big time cop out. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a whole powder keg of because then we get into the Kanye stuff. Oh yeah, oh. and then there's yeah. Jalen Brown is kind of wishy washy about the Donda stuff because he was signed with their sports agency and That's then right. uh, resigned from it after a couple of days of public pressure. But then um, I don't know if he's unliked, but he liked a few posts basically saying it was bullshit that he would have to disassociate himself from Donda and be like, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. It is. Yeah, it's a, the NBA is a bit of a mess right now. I know in certain pockets. Weird. It's kind of weird. And and yeah. but like and now the the rumors are according to Shams uh that they're looking at Ime Odoka and that the Celtics aren't going to fight them on. No, he's gone. He's already it's done. Wow. He's going to be the Nets head coach. That's insane to me. Like you you had an inappropriate relationship. They're exploring whether you were inappropriate with her after you did engage in the consensual consensual relationship. And now you're going to bring him over into another head coaching position. That, that to me is so fucking insane, you know? Yeah. I mean, for non-sports fans, which is quite a few of you, yeah, it'd be yeah, the equivalent yeah. of, so he took a team that had all the promise in the world and got them to the championship. They didn't win, but they were, they were leading the series at one point. It's like Feige, Right before Avengers, before they're a yeah. full yeah. celebrated hit. You've got Iron Man and Thor and Iron Man 2 and all that. And you're like, wow, they're really building something. Yeah. And then a huge scandal comes out where Feige was doing inappropriate things. And then not three months later, DC snaps him up. Once Marvel says, you're not going to be the head of right our company anymore. And you have to basically, we're going to pay you to be away from us for a year. Yeah. And yeah. he said, fine. And then after three months, DC came in and said, "Hey, uh, what you guys doing with that exec over there? Is he uh, is he looking for a job? Because <laughs> we got an opening, which is what the Nets did. Yeah, they fired a guy that never really had a chance yeah. in one of the weirdest situations. And then you have like the Josh Primo stuff in San Antonio. Oh my God, that's crazy, dude. Yeah, which yeah. the more information comes oh, out there, it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, apparently they're so, getting sued now." Yep. The Spurs by the woman over this. So yeah. By the woman who was, uh, yeah. Apparently pulled his crank out. It was either seven or nine times exposing <sighs> himself to her. Jesus Christ. And she, she told people in there 
it sounds like a college story because eventually like everybody found out and yeah, then yeah. it took a while for anything to happen. Yeah. What a uh, dude's obsessed with showing their penises, man. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know. Like a paint man. He got in trouble with that. One of the trainer, female trainers accused him of doing that at university of Tennessee that he, she was working on his leg and she came up and he, he had purposely pulled out his, to surprise her. And it's like, what the fuck? You know? So it's kind of I mean, weird. You know? It is. You, not excuse it, but you could say, well, he's got raging hormones. Cause like Josh Primo's barely 19 years old. Yeah, he's old. 19. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not excusing the action, but I'm also saying you're still kind of a dumb kid at that age. Yeah. Like you're not fully an adult. I, I didn't feel like I was an adult until 28. Yeah. <laughs> like legitimately. That's when I finally was like, you know what? I think I'm done. Like I don't feel like a kid anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I'm once again, not excusing. I'm just saying. A lot of hormones and a lot of bad decisions, and then compounding and uh, making I, yeah. the whole situation worse. I, I, but Kyrie's not, and I think that's the most frustrating. Yeah, Kyrie's thirty, and he's had okay. issues every place he's gone. Fucking Cavaliers with LeBron, the Celtics, and now here. And so it's just so frustrating to deal with a guy like this. And look, he may be—you know—he's got a right to express his feelings, beliefs. Of course, America, knock yourself out, but you can't eliminate your responsibility whenever you feel like it, like when it's convenient for you. That's ridiculous. Like, cause even in the statement he issued last night, as we're recording this, there's no apology here. And silver even said that, that he's upset that he stopped short of an apology. He just explained it. And when he was, and then he got defensive with the reporters again, when he was asked about it this morning. And so it's like, this, he doesn't, he, he really just is like, you know, I believe what I believe. Fuck you guys for asking me anything about it. Yeah. Which is perfectly fine. But then you can't just, say yeah. you're misinterpreting me or I think, I, I think it's unintelligent. I think if you want to come across as some kind of intelligent, knowledgeable person about a subject matter, but if you get questioned by reporters, you merely become defensive. It screams. I'm not that smart about this shit. I'm not. And I'm unconfident or I'm, I'm not confident about my beliefs. It is not about the fact that it's white reporters asking a black player. No, it's not. It's not that bullshit. It's about the fact that you don't, and anybody who did this and regardless of color, if you're not, if you're constantly defensive about something and you're getting asked legitimate questions and you can't just calmly explain yourself, then forget it. Like you're, you're clearly showing that you're defensive about it. And because you're defensive about it, that reads as insecure about it or not intelligent about yeah. it. And so to me, it, it undercuts you trying to come across as someone who is really trying to make people aware about an, an issue or aware about a historical thing that you believe in, you know? So it's frustrating all around, man. Cause the yeah, Nets I are, if I was Durant, I wouldn't play another fucking game. I would just be like, look guys, I'm not playing for you fuckers anymore. Oh, Get me nah, he'll never do that. Yeah. He'll never do that. He loves to play. He just wants to play. That's all he wants in this yeah, world. I guess you're right. I guess he does. Yeah, I guess, but he does want off that team. So does yeah. Kyrie. Yeah. Maybe they, but who would take Kyrie now? I mean, like, there are rumors that LeBron has been behind the scenes kind of. Sure. They want to give him the their 20. Well, they're holding off in the, my guess. I don't know this, yeah, yeah. but they're holding off in the hopes that Ty, Kyrie becomes so toxic. They don't have to package both their first rounders to get them. That's, that's my guess what their hope is. Yeah. But Westbrook coming off the bench. Hey, two W's. Well, what do you know? What do you know? Uh, and uh, the right attitude. Look, I, I'd be amazed if this maintains because they still have a lot of the same problems. Can't shoot from three. Their defense yep. is lackluster, and uh, you know whatever. But it's still early in the season, so mm -hmm. uh, who knows? But the team, teams are going to start planning for it. 
You know, now that you've showed you can do this, they'll start planning for it. And what happens if someone on your front line gets injured? <laughs> then Russell's no longer on the bench and you're back in the same issue. So Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ugh, it's craziness. Um, how are your bulls? Are your bulls all right? Not bad. I mean, okay. Um, you know, had a had a couple good wins uh, yeah. as of late. Uh, came back and uh, uh, beat the Nets a couple nights ago on okay. Tuesday night, and then uh, last night beat uh, Charlotte. Oh, nice! Uh, oh. We're above five hundred. We should be another game above five hundred had the Wizards not uh, cheated and oh, for God's sakes, stolen oh, a game oh. against us. But you know, oh, whatever. God, neither here nor there. Look, it happens. It's like Tyler Hero's game-winning shot last night. He traveled oh. against the Kings. He did. It's still a great shot, but I saw the Mike Brown press conference first because I wasn't watching that game. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, did he travel? And then I went and watched him be like, oh, undoubtedly he traveled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it, it, it happens, especially sure. to, to good teams when the refs feel like they got to bail out lesser teams and they yeah. don't call fouls when they really should. That shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Well, my Wizards are four and four. We've regressed back to the mean. Just yeah, like- it should be three and five, but that's fine. Congratulations <laughs> on four and four. Oh my God, Jesus Christ! Uh, you know, I just say you're it's still just, above us, man. <laughs> you play the game the right the way, though. You should be rewarded. No, that's the I, thing. You do remember you had Rodman on your team for a while. Speaking of, you do remember that. Right? Uh, yeah, twenty five years ago. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's that's fine, but. Uh, <laughs> The sins of my father are not mine necessarily. <laughs> so I don't know that this team needs to carry the baggage of what happened 25, 30 years ago. God, it's been that long. You're right about that. Oof. Um, all right. Anyway, so we've, we've uh, jibber jabbered for 21 minutes. Let's, let's get into the show here, Matt. Um, these are the top 10 films set in Las Vegas. Uh, as you said, from our patron, Charles Clark here, we love to do these um, once a month. Um, and we appreciate all the people who are patrons of the top 10. And this is when you're the highest level of the, of the tier there on our patron um, website, you can uh, select the topic. So you can go there to patreon.com slash the top 10 if you want to join. Um, so yeah, top 10 film set in Vegas. I'm sure you've got his list. So I don't have it yet. Oh, okay. So I'm emailing him again, but I'm going to let him know, Hey, if you can't get it in time, we can always read it next week. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds just, good. Um, okay. Cause we want to make sure he was uh, nice enough to, to give us a topic that we both uh, jumped yeah. on. So yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. Okay. So how do we uh, do the show here, Matt? What do we do? Uh, well, um, once we set a topic, which Charles did for us this time, we go our separate ways and create individual top 10 lists, show back up here. I do my bottom three. He does his bottom three. I do my next two. He does his next two. Then we trade one to one apiece. Once we have revealed our personal top 10 lists, we create the shows between the two of us. Boom. All right. Matt Nost, start us off. What do you got? Um, I number 10. So um, I tried to skew a little bit more towards movies that spent a ton of time or more in Vegas. Okay. Okay. Cause there's quite a few are just like, yeah, they have the story goes to Vegas for a little while, but it's set right. predominantly here or predominantly there. Yeah. And Vegas is just part of the, the journey of the story itself. So I shied away uh, from that as much as I could. Okay. Um, and at 10, I have 
a movie that I cannot recommend to anyone. <laughs> but okay. yet I when I saw in the theater, I laughed a ton. Okay. Which is Rat Race. Oh, that's a good film. Yeah, that's most people film. would disagree with us. Most people think it is one of the worst movies made that's that year. Crazy. I love that film. Uh John Cleese killed me every scene he was in that movie. Every single every single one. And this is one uh, of those performances that features a Rowan Atkinson who isn't doing Mr. Bean. Yeah. Uh, and so he is funny. We, we know the days. He is so hilarious in the role that he's playing. Whoopi is funny as shit. And I don't, I rarely see Whoopi being funny in movies anymore. So seeing her being funny in this was great. Uh, the Lucio Ball stuff, the Cuba Gooding was hilarious. Um, yeah, the Amy Smart stuff with, uh, was it uh, Jamie Bradley Kennedy? Meyer. Yeah. And, and Jamie Bradley Kennedy. Meyer, right? Yeah. It's all kind of interesting and weird, but like overall, I was really because I like it's a mad, mad, mad world, which is essentially a version of this. Um, but this one actually was funny, uh, and I will watch it whenever I catch it on on uh, one of flipping channels. Even John Lovitz's stuff with Kathy and Jimmy was hilarious. So, yeah, yeah, the over the top uh, Hitler. Oh God! With the shoe polish mustache, I saw that coming from a mile away. I still found it entertaining. That's when I knew I was like, I like this movie. Yeah. And walking out of it, I was like, I bet you this thing just gets pilloried. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it did. And I, God. yeah. if you want to take fault and be like, this wasn't good. I mean, once again, humor is very subjective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I walked into it with an open mind and I was just looking for, to laugh and it more than succeeded. I walked out going, that was, you know, I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> Uh, but I cannot sit here and give you like a, some sort of stamp of approval. It's yeah. one of those, if it gets you, you'll enjoy it. But I would imagine the preponderance of individuals that are listening to this, if they haven't seen it, they went to watch it, they wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just, it struck me. It struck the right nerve the day that I saw it. And I still like it to this day. I agree. It's a good ending too. I, I like that ending as well. Um, all right. What's your nine? Uh, my nine is uh, The Cooler. Oh, oh, dude, that was that was a tough cut. Right at the edge, man. I like that movie a lot. The William H Macy film. Yeah, he, I mean, he bas- basically plays a professional loser. <laughs> That's his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works at a casino, which I believe this was a thing at one point. Like yeah. this was a, a legitimate thing. Oh yeah, coolers um, and casinos. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I it always struck me as could be one of those myths of maybe it existed at one casino for a short while. Right. Right. But his job was, so uh, Alec Baldwin ran the casino. I can't remember if he ran the casino or he was the pit boss. Uh, I think he was the pit boss. Okay. So if anybody ended up getting too hot, like on the tables and they're raking in the cash, he would send in Macy and Macy's just undeniable bad luck would bleed over into the other person just by osmosis. He was close enough and it would leach into their system, and suddenly they'd turn into losers. Yeah. And that, that was his job. And then eventually he meets uh, Maria Bello, and things suddenly aren't so dreary in his life, and he starts to lose some of his professional loserism. Yeah. And Alec Baldwin is uh, not pleased by the fact that he can no <laughs> longer use his cooler to keep his uh, casino in the black at all times. Yeah. yeah and the yeah. push and pull of... You know him wanting a more normal uh, life and the the growth 
there from just wallowing in, in self-pity and whatnot mm-hmm. versus the blustering, the, the raging bull that is Alec Baldwin. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good move. I mean, it was up for Oscar consideration in that it was yeah. in the discussion that, that year. Yeah. It never had any kind of chance for, for any awards, but it, it's one of those where it's a really good movie and everybody agreed, like there's some great performances in this yeah. and it's a very small film. So hopefully by us discussing it in the press and whatnot, we can get more people to go see it because you got a lot of actors doing some incredible stuff. Yeah. I'm not a big, I'm not a big Maria Bello fan, but I liked her in this movie and I liked this. This was a kind of the um, let's discover William H. Macy portion of his career, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, him leading an independent film like this, it getting the kind of reaction that it got. Um, I think was one of those essential bricks in the whole thing of people understanding how good of an actor William H. Macy is. And Baldwin is Baldwin, you know, Baldwin plays the, um, how can I say this? The kind of, not a villainous, but antagonistic low voice guy in millions of movies. So when he makes, when he does a performance in that vein, but it stands out, it's because he's, He's uh, putting a little more effort in and you can sense in this movie how much more of an effort he, he puts into this film and the back and forth with him and Macy um, works. And the stuff with his um, with Macy's son or daughter. Oh, yeah, son having that uh, girlfriend and whatever. And they were trying to make her happen. I forget that actress's name for a while. And having that all be an element of what he's doing is just so interesting. Um, and it's, you know, as far as Vegas films, you've got some nice independent film storylines going on with all these people it's a bit more rougher than you would anticipate but it really does work and he does a fantastic job in that movie absolutely so uh estella warren yes estella warren yeah yeah yeah. because she was in the um oh the planet of the apes movie with Wahlberg. they were trying to make her happen for a while she's a former swimmer who became a tried to become an actress and she was not good but in this film playing the CD kind of role that she's playing and she's, she wasn't bad. Like Blake Lively in the town. It's not bad. They did okay. Yeah, you're not asked to do much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, okay. What's your eight? Uh, my eight might be higher on your list. Okay. Which, uh, which is Bugsy. Uh, yeah. Just slightly higher, but it is higher. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, all right. So then my 10 is a uh, honeymoon in Vegas. Uh, go right ahead. Okay. I love this film. It still holds up. Watch some scenes for it to get ready for the show today and still love Nicolas Cage in this movie. James Conn, the late great James Conn in this movie and Sarah Jessica Parker, who of course wasn't always good at doing the theatrical stuff, but I like the chemistry that everybody has. Even got a Pat Morita in this movie, driving him around in the taxi. But I like the story. It's a guy who can't commit. His girlfriend finally is like, fuck this. And he gambles her away to James Caan. Now it's, of course uh, you're looking at it from the sexual politics of 2022. It's a terrible situation, but she does kind of go, well, fuck this guy. I'm going to explore this idea with this dude. And he's initially nice to her, but then of course things change. And so he spent, uh, that means, I mean, James Caan, that is things change with him and uh, Jessica Parker. So, but Nicholas Cage realizes what he's done eventually and starts to try to fight to go find her and all the shit he goes through to try to, uh, find her and get to her and all of that. It's so funny and so good. And by the end, when he parachutes in with the uh, flying Elvis is the Utah chapter. Yeah. It's w- one of my favorite uh, uh, endings to any movie, any one of these rom-com movies that I've seen. So yeah, I like it. And it makes a great use of Vegas, a great use of Vegas throughout the whole movie. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I got to imagine that was Nick Cage in one of his happiest moments with a bunch of other Elvises. <laughs> Probably. I, I That dude seems like such an Elvis file. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. I don't know that for a fact, but just oh, yeah. I would I would bet quite yeah. heavily. Yeah. If you guys could just drop me over the uh, Vegas. Oh, we'll drop you. We'll drop you. Uh, anyway, just such a good movie. Still fun to explore. Um, my number nine is speaking of Elvis is, is Viva Las Vegas. OK. Yeah. Oh, I like this film is, you know, Elvis didn't make a lot of good movies. You know, I can be I'm a huge Elvis fan, but I'm also honest. And uh, he didn't make a lot of good movies, but this one was one of those ones that kind of stands out above the rest. Him and Aunt Margaret having fantastic chemistry. He's much more relaxed in this movie than you might see him in some other films. And there's a there's like there's a fun little kind of chemistry with uh, him and everybody that he's got the guy he's working with on in the car shop, the little kid in the um, in the um, in the hotel. All of it works so well here for him to kind of establish what he's trying to do. The dance sequences are great. The songs come in at the right time. And the overall vibe is just so cool. And so for me, I, I this is one of the rare Elvis movies that I still go back and watch and enjoy. So I had to put it on my list um, for anybody who might not have known about this film or might think all Elvis films are the same. This one's a, ki- a, a cut above the rest, and it's because of his, his uh, performance and his chemistry with Anne Margaret, who is damn good in the movie, by the way. That's my uh, that's my uh, talk on nine. Have you seen this? Did you talk to? Yeah, I, I've I've seen, okay. uh, I've seen this. I've seen uh, Blue Hawaii, and I've oh, yeah, seen Kid Creole. Yeah, and I I want to say I've seen like one other one. Okay. Um, yeah. I yeah, I, <laughs> I don't get it. All right, fair enough. But at the same time, it's like I am distinctly in the minority because that guy still has a pull. Oh yeah. 40 some odd years after his passing. Yeah. 40. Oh yeah. We're coming up on 45 years since he passed away and he's yeah. still, I mean that I did contemplate putting on Elvis. Oh yeah. 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 Right. The uh, most recent one, but right. it, there's, you know, a bunch of stuff in Memphis and I was yeah, like, yeah, ah, yeah. Yeah. there's not enough in Vegas. It's only the, yeah. the last half an hour, 45 minutes of the movie is Vegas. Yeah. Bugsy. I finagled, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that qualifies that. Yeah. We wouldn't have these movies without him. Um, right. My number eight is uh, Rango because it happens all around Vegas. D- is that for a fact? I read that too. And I was like, I don't remember any kind of mention of Vegas in the movie. It's all around Vegas. man. Do you like, do they say that in the movie or is that just part of the Wikipedia description? There's like, Oh yeah, it happens outside of Vegas. And we're just, we're told that third hand, <laughs> but we don't experience it in the movie. That's where my head was like, I don't remember them ever saying, because there's the car ride driving in. Yeah. He's still in his little aquarium. So mm-hmm. maybe there's mention of it there. Uh, there's like a signpost or something, but I don't remember there being. There's a Las Vegas uh, scene there. Uh, so it says it's in Vegas. It's in the Mojave Desert surrounding Vegas. So... Are we saying the desert is not part of Vegas? I feel like it is part of Vegas. I it's on your list. I'm there's no are we saying this is are you saying? I'm not I'm saying it is. Yeah, I just I saw it on Wikipedia's list of movies set in Vegas, and then I sat there and racked my brain. I was like, when is Vegas in this movie? And I isn't, that movie... isn't that what he's looking at at the beginning of the film? He's looking at the city of Vegas there, and it's all about the pipeline of water being shut down to Vegas, right? 
there's the the waters to the local communities. I don't. Right. Yeah. Maybe look. You you give us yeah. Rango, and I'll look it up and see if I can find. Okay. Specifically, Vegas comes into this. Good film. Damn good film of Gore Verbinski. Depp does a great job voicing over Rango. This is a great western. First of all, let's put that on the table. This is a damn good western um, with its overall vibe, even though it's animated. Um, and I, I think who else? Oh, yeah, Isla Fisher, uh, Bill Nagy, uh, Ray Winstone, Timothy Oliphant is the voice of the West or the spirit of the West, which is essentially uh, the Clint yep. Eastwood character. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's there. I forgot about the scene. Yep, it's hmm. there. Yeah. All right, so Rango makes my list. Oh, okay. Um, keep this going, though. $250 million. That's pretty good. But yeah, overall, and uh, um, Roger Deakins did the cinematography, and y'all might be like, what? But this, some of this stuff was shot uh, live action in terms of movement and uh, and what have you, and they just kind of used that in the animation. So that's another element of this that I think is fantastic. The film, is, the film feels like a theatrical film that is not animated, even though it is animated. And I think that speaks volumes about the quality of it. So for me, this one is still one that I turn on and watch whenever i can because i love the voiceover work I love the story as kind of oh. a simulated chinatown story in this uh in this uh film and then the direction overall by ravinsky is great uh mm-hmm. yeah so i moved that to two <laughs> wow all right oh, i love rango i'm glad I've... i talked about it here then all right, there's a uh yeah i can't believe i forgot that scene Mm. as soon as it showed what it was i found that on youtube yeah it's like oh yeah it's right there so then all the water would be leading in so they'd be right outside of totally 100 percent. i can't believe I, this escaped me right um okay well then i yeah, won't I, say anything when we get to your two you can just talk from that point well I, we can do it now and then when we get to my two we already know my two since we're talking yeah. about rango now okay if you want to um, talk about it go ahead my man. yeah there's an awesome documentary about the making of it where they talk about the animators and Verbinski rented a house in the hills and all the animators basically just lived there. Wow. And they would come up with the sketch design and composites for the characters and they had them all up on there and they would go through and like make revisions and whatnot and yeah. do the storyboarding. But then they brought in all the actors and the actors basically did the movie as a play. Wow. And the animators were watching, and so they would get the video of the actors going through it, so they had points of reference of how they were bringing to life these characters. It's fantastic. Oh, okay. Uh, And then you throw in Depp playing an actor in the movie who, because that's what the chameleon is, he's an actor. He is an actor, yeah. So he just keeps changing and morphing into these various parts. (laughs) It's it is excellent voice acting. Like Bill Nye is the rattlesnake is amazing. Oh, so good. Uh, Ned Beatty as the, the puppet master, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Just a fantastic uh, voice. Uh, yeah. It's just over and over and over. The casting is really good. Um, yeah. I think I've seen that thing like 15, 20 times. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. I'm a fan. It's, I think that's that transcends the animation genre for me. That is just an excellent story. Yeah. Um, and then it's pertinent to much like you said with Chinatown. Yeah. Yeah. The water. But then stuff. the behind the scenes stuff makes me love it all that much more. There you go. Uh, all right. What's your seven? Um 
So while rejiggering, technically previously, oh, previously on my list, seven is now my number eight. So my eight Mm -hmm. is the Hangover. Oh yeah, that's punt. Okay, that's fine. So my seven, yeah, is Fright Night. That's my seven. Uh, All coming up. (laughs) Aces, baby. Aces. This is the this is the remake, right? Not the original. Yeah, hundred percent. Does the does the original take place in Vegas? I don't remember oh, taking place so. in Vegas. Yeah, this yeah. Which I think cool. the setting is kind of perfect for it. Somebody yep. that's nocturnal in a city like that. And you're like, yeah, this is a city that that legitimately never sleeps. Everything stays open twenty four hours a day because they just yeah. you can make money at four in the morning because we got drunks. <laughs> uh, so to have somebody that exists on that kind of a uh, time cycle. Mm-hmm is an anomalous. I'm sure there are quite a few people uh, in the same neighborhood. It's just like, yeah, that guy is a dealer. And then that person uh, is on a wait staff somewhere. And this yeah. one works on this. And it's just like, yeah, they have the, the graveyard shift. Yeah. Um, so to have somebody else on that as well. And he's a youngish uh, guy. So he's like, yeah, I work in a club. I'm a promoter. I'm a this or that or the other easily, easily just uh, seamlessly blend right in with the surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. And an interesting choice from Colin Farrell. Yeah, right. I mean, like um, this. He this is right around that time where he's like, you're not sure where he's going as an actor, and he's not really sure where he's going. It seems like as well, and takes on this role, and he does an excellent job. He is scary as fuck in this movie. Um, in how he plays this character. I mean, that scene where he's coming through the car. Holy shit, man! Um, you know, Anton Yelchin, who unfortunately we lost way too early, is great in the film. McLovin is hilarious as essentially his Renfield. Yeah, his Renfield, he's really good. So funny. David Tennant is hilarious as the magician who comes in and is like not really a real magician. And well, he's uh, a vampire slayer, isn't he? That's like yeah, it's all vampire bluster, slayer. and then yeah. uh, when the shit hits the fan, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, you know, and it's like uh, hiring the three amigos. Oh, that's right, that's right. And uh, Tony Collette, uh, who's his mom, does a great job. Um, yeah. And I can't remember the girl. I don't know if she's the girl from uh, Disturbia or not, but she's uh, g- good in the film as well. So just overall, a great cast, a good remake. Um, and I think this is Gillespie, Craig Gillespie, if I'm not wrong, who did the remake, um, who is who does damn good films. Is that right? It was a Craig, Craig Gillespie. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, it was. Okay, yeah. Craig, I think he did I, Tanya. Yeah, he did I, Tanya, the real girl, or Lars and the real Lars girl. Lars and the real girl? Wow, what yeah. a weird. And Those he, are three films I like, though. Yeah, yeah. And he just he did Cruella as well, which I thought was was good. Um, so an interesting cat as a director for sure. But yeah, I like this movie a lot. And uh, everyone that was involved in making it, uh, I think, did a damn good job. And it's not easy to remake a horror film. We've seen a lot of terrible remakes, in my yeah. opinion, over the last few years and this one really kind of does something new with the original material i mean i remember when it was coming out and i was like why is colin farrell doing a fright night remake yeah yeah it just didn't make any sense to me and i was like god is his career like this dog shit all of a sudden (laughs) and i'm not knocking no no horror movies because they've you know for as many that are mediocre to bad that come out there's some really good ones that are coming out whereas i think i'm bringing my prejudice from horror films as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. they were almost all schlock. Yeah. I'd watch them. I, I personally wouldn't get scared. That's why I don't watch horror. The entire point of it doesn't really work on me. 
Yeah. Not saying I'm like some badass or something, but it's all, I'm always like, of course he, he came out from behind there. Right. How are you scared by this? Where else is he going to come from? Yeah. Um. So yeah, when it was announced and I was like, man, I, I, you know, thought this guy was going places and now he's doing a remake of the horror film. And then a couple of years later, I decided to watch it and I was like, yeah. excellent choice. I thought, I think that was part of the forelessance for me. Mm. Uh, why I went back and watched it. Cause he had just done, you know, I'd seen in Bruges and I had seen a yeah. few other things where he's like, you know what? I like the choices that he makes in the characters that he creates. Yeah. So then to go back and watch fright night with a more open perspective. Um, yeah. He did it justice in my, in my opinion. I'm glad that I didn't, see it earlier yeah it's weird. i mean his career is so weird at the beginning you know tigerland is the one that kind of announces him and then he does that american outlaws movie hearts war which i don't know if anybody saw then no. he's great in minority report but then he's the lead in phone booth the recruit sank daredevil was so weird for so many reasons that were not him but he was so cheesy in that veronica yeah Garrett. i thought alexander was going to kill his career <laughs> yeah and then alexander in 2004 right because that was like the big, huge epic. This is Oscar. This is everything. We are pinning a ton of money on a, you know, a gladiator esque film. Right, right. And it flopped. It did. And then he does Miami Vice two years later, and that was another one that people were like, "What the fuck?" You know. So he kind of was in this weird place. Then in Bruges, two thousand eight. Then Crazy Heart, two thousand nine, which is damn good. And then he has this weird, this weird like London Boulevard, horrible bosses. Then Fright Night, Total Recall. Seven Psychopaths, Dead Man Down, Saving Mr. Banks, and Winterstale, Miss Julie, and then The Lobster. I think The Lobster, and then uh, that kind of started this path of looking at Colin Farrell in a different way. And I think since then, we've kind of seen a different, uh, more respect, I guess, to Colin Farrell as he's approaching these these uh, characters and these roles, you know. Yeah, for, yeah. like, uh, yeah, all the stuff that came through. So, all right, well, what's your six now? Um, my number six now is not going to be on your list, which is fear and loathing. Oh yeah. Go ahead, man. Like so. Bob. Yeah. I know you're not a fan. Not my jam. Um, do we got to get you to do some drugs, man? And then you might <laughs> have done drugs. It is still not my jam. <sighs> you know, uh, listen, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't, the mania of being on that many drugs really comes across in the film and not in a watching an actor try and play drunk where it's yeah. so obvious. Yeah, yeah. They look like they're gacked out of their minds and it doesn't look like they're acting. It's, it's, you know, very much Leo and Wolf of wall street while he's trying to crawl to that oh. Lamborghini, which is the best inebriated. I think I've seen anybody ever play. Uh, cause the commitment it's so over the top. It's believable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in this, just the mania of being on that many psychoactive elements and how you interpret the world at that point. Yeah. Because, um, I, you know, I've been personally to the degree where so high that the world is a lot to take in and it's hard to process. And I don't exactly know what's going on Yeah. for a, a decent chunk of time. Like there's just so much and I'm, I'm processing things that happened five minutes ago and the world has moved on. And now I don't get the, what happened in the past five minutes. My brain didn't, you know, was still processing and it jumps forward. Now something else has happened. I'm like, well, what happened to this over here? We've moved on. Yeah. But in my 
high state. I was like, yeah, but we should talk about this, guys. This was important. It really wasn't. Uh, I'm thinking of a few instances in particular Yeah, where I was just completely lost. Um, and yeah, to see that kind of mania come across. Yeah. And it, to me, I think somewhat captures a little bit of what it must have been like to be Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't think I've ever seen truly represented. Usually it's a more cartoonish approach. Not saying that this doesn't have some of those elements, but uh, it ringed a little bit more of truth to me. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, it was worth one watch, but it was so out there. Like you said, Terry Gilliam, hit or miss, and, and our other um show that we did recently we recorded so this is one of those misses for me I, it just doesn't it's just so fucking out there i can't i can't quite come yeah. back to it. this is one that works for me so yeah, yeah fair enough um all right so my seven uh, as we said is fright night my number six is swingers uh go for it okay yeah i still think this film works i still like to go back and watch it it's it yeah it's a combo of nostalgia but I mean, a, a majority of the first part of the movie is all in Vegas, and then they eventually end up in LA later. But uh, this is, I like this is where, or I guess they start out in LA, they end up. Yeah. In then they go, they take a trip to Vegas because Mike is so distraught. Right. Right. Uh, and so a lot of what, and the reason I move, I put it on my list because a lot of what happens after Vegas is begins the process of his changing. What, the experience of Vegas is the beginning of him, like realizing. You know, I, this is I've got to fix this, you know, and, and so you're seeing him the situation with Vince, Vince, of course, going crazy and all that stuff that he's doing, um, the gambling they do, the conversations they have with the women, the way he's mm-hmm. fucking talking to her in the trailer park or whatever. And she's just like, oh, my God, it's so sad. And him ruining, you know, yeah. it's his chance to up with the stop girl. talking about DMX. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, so there's so much here that bears fruit later on in the movie, which is why I think it's uh, an important film that's set in Vegas and put, I put it on my list and I really like the performances. I mean, this is, this is Fabro. I, I don't think I've seen Fabro this good since, to be honest with you. Yeah. I like him as happy Hogan and he's fun and elf and all these other things, but he's really acting in this movie and he does a, a great job in the film. Vince too. And Vince, if you go back and watch this, Vince looks like he's 12 in the fucking movie. It's insane how skinny and thin he is, but he does. They have such great chemistry and the conversations that they're having. It's just a cool fucking film. It's just, it feels like the whole film. It feels like they're in Vegas in the whole film, even though they're not in Vegas, the whole film. And I kind of like that vibe. So that's why it still works for me. Yeah. I mean that rat packy. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah, moment absolutely. in time of the same time. Those gap commercials were going on and the big band <laughs> swing and big yeah. bad voodoo daddy. And, all that nonsense. There was a it's moment in time. Movies. This this movie was one of the better elements of that moment in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy. I was talking to Lily about this, and she was like, "Well, you know, they still swing dance." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. There, there's still places where people will go to swing dance, but it is nowhere near where it was. Yeah, it wasn't craze a cultural know? craze for like a year. Yeah, yeah, to a year and a half where I knew people that took classes in swing yeah. dancing." Yeah, the Brown Derby would do this whole thing where you show up like an hour or two before it officially opens and you pay an extra little bit and they teach you the dances so you could do them when they officially open that night. So, yeah, it was a big deal in L.A. I remember that. It was crazy. Um, Anyway, all right. Uh, Should we take a break here, Matt? Uh, That we shall. We'll take a quick break here. This word from our sponsor. Be right back after this. Okay. 
All right, Matt, let's head into our top fives. Take it away. Let's head into our top fives. At five, I have Leaving Las Vegas. Ooh, that's my four. Let's do it. Um, it was originally my four, so we would have been simpatico. <laughs> uh, this is a hard movie to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I've only watched it once all the way through. Okay. I've gone back for scenes to see certain things mm. um, just to relive those moments. But it's very much like Requiem and a couple others where I really enjoy the movie and it will live with me. I will never forget it. Mm. And it still has the impact as I'm thinking about this man who is choosing to destroy his white life and Elizabeth Shue is kind of along for the ride. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it is brutal to watch. Yeah. Um, and it's honest when a person like, you know, chooses to make this decision Yeah, and is fully committed to it and the idea that they're never going to deviate and he's just going to continue to drink, wake up in the morning, start drinking, drink all day, drink all night, yeah. go to sleep and until he can no longer do any of it. That is his game plan, and it is it is harrowing to watch. There's no – how can I say this correctly? The arc is for everybody else in the movie. Sure. Elizabeth Shue goes on her arc um, because of what he's doing, right? He's very clear about who he is and what he wants. And there, as you said, Matt, there's no deviating from the script. And she tries to get him to – you know, glimpse the possibility of life. And we don't know what happened. That's the crazy part about this movie. You know, sometimes we ding movies because we're like, you know, they didn't build up the backstory enough. I didn't have to, I didn't care about this character because they didn't give me, you know, the idea of what happened behind the character. This guy from the beginning, something happened. He set everything on fire. His wife left him, his business. Yeah. He worked at like a studio here in LA or something yeah. like that. He worked in Hollywood. He worked in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. And he just decided... That it was over, and he made a very concrete decision that he was going to drink until he died. And that's what he did every single fucking day. And yes, he had this relationship with Elizabeth Shute's character, and certainly there's real feeling and affection between each other there. But it wasn't going to stop him from doing what he was doing. It's a very rare film where the protagonist has no real arc um, and is very clear about who they are from beginning all the way to the end and they accomplish the goal by the end of the movie. Um, and the, you know, it still has a happy ending because she gets pregnant with his baby. And so there's a way of bringing him, me bringing his life may have his life mean a, mean a little bit here in the end, but overall it, it's just an incredible performance from cage. And there's some scenes that are pretty brutal to watch um, and how he breaks her heart a number of times. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, there's her, her... Yeah. When she's out on the job scene. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. But the one that killed me is when she gets him the flask. Oh, yeah. And the look on his face and he's like, I'm with a girl who understands. Yeah. And yeah. I'm watching that going, you, you just gifted him the nails that go in his coffin. <laughs> and he took it knowing that's what it was. and was excited about the fact that you're going to help nail him into his coffin. Yeah. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, God, this fucking movie. Yeah. I don't so know good. If you, 
I don't know if you can get away with this movie nowadays. I don't know. I think you could. Yeah. Yeah, I think you could. All right. Because this idea is everyone's about like we're talking more about mental health nowadays, and which is a great thing. And those things are becoming more part of storylines in in movies and TV shows. Would a TV, would a movie get away with a guy who wants to kill himself, wants to commit suicide from the beginning of the movie, and you have the male, the female protagonist help him do it? I don't know. So yeah, it's it's. I hear you. You probably could, but I wonder what the reaction would be for sure. But this is still a fucking good movie and some good music from sting and eric clapton in the movie as well that i think works well with the score yeah i mean that scene where she lifts up her leg to kind of show the pimp like go ahead cut me where you need to cut me it's fun it's that's a powerful scene man just a powerful fucking scene um all right where are we next uh, uh that was my five year four so what's your five? Oh, my five is uh bugsy which was the punt from earlier okay love this movie man barry levinson and I'm not the biggest Warren Beatty guy, but I like him in this movie. I like him because he's not the swaggering, cool kid. He's actually got vulnerabilities. He's actually, um, you know, he's cuckolded to this woman, Virginia Hill. Even though he's cuckolded from a strong place, he's still cuckolded to her. And I like that you're going on a journey with these characters, wondering if who you should be cheering for. Um, and I think Kingsley is a fantastic Meyer Lansky, maybe the best Meyer Lansky we've ever seen on screen. Uh, Lucky Luciano, that guy, whoever they cast, does a really nice job with it as well. And the 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 thing about him is that this is a guy you should not have any sympathy for, or you shouldn't like at all. But there's something about Beatty's performance as Bugsy in this movie that makes him likable. Uh, and that speech from Kingsley at the end talking about how his friend built this city and no one's ever going to give him credit. They're not even going to build a statue yeah. for him. is just um, heartbreaking when you see it. And she was right in the end. She really did love him in the end. And I think that's great as well. You know, and Benning is fantastic in the movie. Good God. She's a fucking dynamo in the film. Hey, it's, it's kind of impressive that mm. he had this vision. Mm. Right. It ultimately came to fruition. That's why it makes it on my list because they spend a, a good chunk of time in Los Angeles. Yes, they do. They do. I'd say the you know majority of the movie is in Los Angeles. But if there is no Bugsy, there is no Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. It's not the luxury destination uh, that it is to this day. Yeah. And so you got to give credit where credit is due. It needs to make the list. The movie's really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's also talking about mob you know, actual mob characters or individuals, which I'm always a fan of. And Bugsy doesn't get as much play as Luciano Meyer Lansky. Yeah. As far as murder. Yeah. Yeah, The stories that you read, because they were the brains and Bugsy was the brawn. Yeah. Uh, And the looks. And the looks. I was about to say that. The Warren Beatty casting by all accounts. I don't know how good Bugsy was compared to his compatriots. Mm. By all accounts, he was a very attractive man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then you combine that with, well, he's unafraid to take physical action and, yeah. uh, he's got access to more money than anybody else. It's like, that's a potent com- combination. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's a weirdly heartbreaking kind of story because here's this guy that ultimately gives up on his dream and, and divests himself of the, his ownership of that casino yeah. to try and save Annette Benning. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's stolen a bunch of money in the construction of this because he foolishly put her in charge of accounting. Yeah. 
and she, uh, you know, pilfered funds from the mob, which mm-hmm. is always a smart move. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then after Bugsy gets off, she gives back the money going, oh, well, if they're willing to do that, they're definitely willing to kill me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good story. And yeah. I think the casting between Beatty and Benning. Yeah. You know, they've been together ever since this movie. Yeah, I think so. I think they are still together. Yeah. yeah. And that comes across on screen. They have really good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's potent, their chemistry, man. It really is. Yeah. But again, I want to give another shout out to Kingsley because I think he's a fantastic Meyer Lansky. Like, I don't think I've seen a better one. No. Um, all right. So what's your four? My number four is Ocean's Eleven. Okay, go ahead, man. Not on your list. I had to choose between the two. Oh. And I chose one, the other one. We just want to save it for the overall oh, sure. Ocean's discussion. Okay, sounds good. We can do that. All right, so... We know you're four. four. So my three, yep. then, is uh, Behind the Candelabra. <laughs> really? It All got right. a release. Go it ahead. got a release. I looked Go that ahead. up. Go ahead. Yeah. I trust me. I was surprised looking at the list of movies here. Yeah. I am a fan. I think it's Michael Douglas's commitment to try and bring Liberace to life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who Liberace like only existed as a caricature by the time I knew who he was. Right. Right. right and he didn't really pop up on many things that I was seeing as a kid, but I damn sure knew the name, which is kind of impressive. Yeah. Uh, because he, I didn't care for like the classical music that he was uh, playing as a oh, kid, yeah. and right, right. Wasn't I couldn't go to the Vegas show, and I didn't see him when he was on television doing his specials in the fifties and sixties. Like none of that existed for me, but right. I still knew who the guy was. Now some of it was like cartoons and stuff lampooning him, oh like, sure, creating sure, sure. a Liberace esque character, <clears throat> right? But to see Douglas one hundred percent committing. <laughs> I was so impressed. Not to say that he hasn't committed every other time. No, but, you know, yeah. This is a difficult role. Liberace is a very specific, you know, individual. Um, Yeah, between him and and Matt Damon, um, they have a good push and pull and a dynamic as this relationship blossoms out of. And, you know, you can see how Liberace's former partner, his accompaniment on stage is jealous as Liberace brings in another young boy to, to fawn over him and vice versa for the young boy to fawn over at Liberace, yeah, which yeah. is Matt Damon. He comes in, he's, he works as an animal wrangler on movie sets and stuff. And Liberace as a poodle that has needs eye drops. So Damon gets him eye drops and he's like, Oh, you got to fly in and give him the eye drops. He's like, what? <laughs> Just as an excuse to get him over there because he thought he was attractive. He's got money and who cares? Yeah. And, and whether or not, because it comes from the perspective of Matt Damon's character, it's based on the book that he wrote. Yeah. 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 So ultimately, like, it's made to be that that was Liberace's one true love and all the others were just trysts and flings and things. You know, he may have been with that person for a year, but Scott you were the love of my life. We were together for like four or five years or something like that. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Once again, it's from his perspective. Uh, but it, you know, the casting, you got Scott Bakula is the one that introduces him. Dan Aykroyd right. plays his manager. Right. Uh, 
think Tom Pompa, Tom Papa is a, a, a another like kind of uh, intermediary. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think who else is in it. I don't think there's anybody else of note. Oh, the young kid that comes in is the new squeeze. Oh yeah, that forces Scott out. Is that Garrett Headland? Uh, maybe I don't know. I, I'm uh, looking right now. I don't see his name just yet. But you might be uh, Rob Lowe's in it. Oh yeah, he's the plastic surgeon. His face is oh, just that's right. His face is so weird in that movie. Welded on. He makes yeah. no movement once whatsoever. Um, I see Ch- Cheyenne Jackson. Is that who that is? The guy. Uh, Blonde-haired kid. I know. I don't see. That's no Billy Leatherwood is the guy that Matt Damon replaces. Oh, oh, okay, all right. Um, yeah, I don't see my top cast list, and it's deeper down. Yeah. Oh yeah, David Keckner. I forgot about Keckner being in this. Boyd Holbrook. Oh, it's Boyd Holbrook. Oh, wow, the guy who plays the the Corinthian in the Sandman series. Yeah, he was in Logan. He was in yeah, Blood. he's in Logan. Uh, he's yeah. So yeah, this is Soderbergh. From... So that's fair. This is Soderbergh. Yeah, yeah. It's a good movie. I remember liking it, and like you, I saw it. I was, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it, and especially that scene at the end when, you know, he has AIDS and Scott goes to visit him, and that kind yeah. of final scene between them is is pretty heartbreaking. So, but like you said, is based on the book that Scott wrote. So how much of yeah, this it's all from Scott's perspective? Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. But he does show himself getting addicted to all kinds of different drugs and whatnot. So there's some honesty there. Yeah. And I also think there's no caricature here from, from Douglas. Like he really dials into playing Liberace. You sense yeah. the energy and the essence of this person coming through in his performance. And I think that's what you have to do when you don't hundred percent like look like him or that you're, you know, not homosexual like he was. So you, you have to kind of dial into that and make it believable. And I think he does a great job, you know, and I I don't think he couldn't do it now, obviously, with people, you know, saying, oh, you got to be gay. You've got to be gay if you're playing gay. You got to be Jewish if you're playing Jewish. You know, we're seeing all that uh, coming down. So he probably couldn't get away with it now, but he does a fantastic job. in the movie. Him and Damon, too. Damon is great in the film. Yeah, yeah but I think it's a it. Damon is the star technically yeah. of the movie. He is yeah. the you follow the camera follows him. Yeah. His desperation. Um, but Douglas is the standout, but that was always going to be the case. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the pictures now and just some of the shots and the way I forget how well it's shot, how well he shot that film. Um, yeah. Soderbergh. Um, okay. So that was your three. Is that right? Uh, that was my three. Okay. So my three is a punch from earlier, The Hangover. Okay. Yeah. I love this movie. Jesus Christ. This movie still cracks me up. Still works. I still watch scenes from this movie in the face. Um, all of it uh, is, I still remember a Zach Galifianakis as he was blowing up on the scene. Like the, I go back to watch this movie because of that. Did it all work out? Uh, you could argue middling returns afterwards, but he's great in this movie. Just absolutely an unsettlingly weird dude that works within the humor of the film mm-hmm. who never, you, he, his performance never removes the pathos of this character, you know? And I think that works so well in such an unusual comedy Ed Helms is great in here, and I'm not always the biggest Ed Helms guy. Heather Graham coming back uh, after a while, being cool, being good in the film. Um, oh, and uh, Bradley Cooper. This is the beginning of 
Bradley Cooper being taken somewhat seriously as an actor. He's so good in the film and the yeah. chemistry and the fucking insane shit. They go Ken Jeong jumping out of the trunk, all the kind of stuff that they go through and the adventures they go through in the film, all of it still works for me. And still was it, um, what's his face that did, um, wasn't it Todd Phillips who directed the hangover? Yep. Yeah. Todd so, Phillips did the, yeah. The hangover. Great stuff, man. All, all around great, very humor still holds up great performances and, Damn good direction throughout the whole movie. The other ones, eh, but the first one is great. Um, yeah, the Galifianakis jerking off the baby. <laughs> that slayed me in the theater. Slayed. I was crying <laughs> laughing. And I love the backstory of how they got that done. I, I, I know I've told the story one other time, but... Mm. You tell it all the time on the show. You tell it all the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> so someone uh, tweeted about me as a Sean, Sean, uh, Sean Monk, I think it was. Okay. What did he say? Like, Matt, you, you got to make your choice. Your all-time favorites, PCU versus, uh, was it St. Vincent, I think, or something? Because that was the most yeah. recent, but I was just like, it's good. It's like, I, dude, I can't choose. Both my all-time favorites, especially PCU. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> uh but the you know it's it's twins like they do for anything yeah, yeah yeah for kids it's either twins or triplets or something yeah and they have the two parents on set with them at all times <laughs> and they waited till the mom left set and it was just the dad mom had the other kid and it was yeah. just the dad with the one kid that's on set and they talk to the dad and they're like you uh you give a shit if we do this? And he's basically like, you just need to get it done before she gets back. Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And they shot it. I Personally, I think that is the funniest uh, thing in that movie. Yet. Dudes, man. It still gets me. <laughs> We're the hey, hey, look, look, just the, the juvenile nature of it. Because that's what I would do with my friends. I'm not oh, saying yeah. it's a baby, but I would make a joke that juvenile. <laughs> so I was like, that's, you, you got me. The more over the top, like zaniness. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's good for a movie. Oh yeah, but the baby thing is like God. That is fucking real to me. Uh, yeah, that slays me. And it's a fun movie. It it, oh, it yeah. does. It announces. It takes Bradley Cooper from a guy that you saw, like uh, the villain in Wedding Crashers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he's kind of forgettable, even though he is the main antagonist. Yeah, yeah. And all these other smaller parts and elevate him to next level. This is an A lister. And he took the reins of that and just ran. And now he's going to be a part of our lives for another probably decade minimum. I mean, it's kind of crazy how he's blown up to the point where he is doing all the things that he's doing now, man, as a director, as a producer, as a, it's going to be Bernstein. He's going to be Leonard fucking yeah. Bernstein. Like choosing. Mind, did you consider that possibility when he was in fucking wedding crashes? Insane? Yeah. Choosing Bernstein too is a flex <laughs> of all the characters. To do a movie on Leonard Bernstein, who <laughs> there was a cool exhibit at the, the Skirbo Museum up oh, off, okay. uh, you know what I'm talking about? A, yeah, yeah. Near the Getty. Skirbo Cultural Museum. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and uh, they had a, a Bernstein exhibit and with a bunch of his, like the actual compositions behind glass. And oh, wow. Here's the this for this. And here's the, it was interesting. Okay. To get like it followed, it went along his life, the path of his life, and 
right. discuss what you did. Super interesting, but never in a million years did I walk out of that going, we need a biopic <laughs> of Leonard Bernstein. Although I don't think it's a distinct biopic. It's like a hybridized something else. Yeah. I heard a description of it and I was like, well, this isn't coming out for a while. So I don't yeah. necessarily need to know everything about this just yet. But still, it's fucking hell of a flex, as you yeah, said. Yeah, it's a flex. <laughs> Straight up. The ball's on you and a production company and a studio to go, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Let's do it. Why not? You've done well enough in the past. You finally turned A Star is Born into a legitimate hit. Yeah. It's been on the precipice. We've remade this thing a lot of fucking times. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, for sure. It's a good film. I mean, and, you know, he's great in it. So, yeah. Um, all right. So what's your two, man? My two is Rango, which we discussed. Okay. Yes. Okay. So then my two is Ocean's 13. Okay. So I just prefer, like you prefer uh, Last Crusade over Raiders. I just prefer 13 over 11. I I think 11 is great. Everyone coming together. It's, you know, first time you're seeing these characters. They're all fun. But 13, man, they are a fucking machine, dog. It is so good. They are humming along the way they weave in all the storylines from the previous two oceans movies to make them work. Even the Seymour, uh, the Vincent Cassell stuff from 12, which was the less said about 12, the better, but weaving in the Andy Garcia part of it all works so well, getting rid of Zeta Jones and Julie Roberts, because there's no need for them to be a part of it. It's just the boys and having this be about, you know, the love they have for the Ellie Gould character and what happened to him and how Pacino and then Pacino is just, yeah, if, you know, you, you start out with Garcia, you end up with Pacino. It's a, it's a, you're going up the levels. So having Pacino as a villain in the movie, which he rarely plays, works so well. And the con is so well done um, that you just buy into all of it. And every single one of them who has come farther along in their career by the time they get to this one, they each get their little moments to shine. And I think it's great from top to bottom. Um, and it's the one and the ending when playing that Sinatra song, this town is they're looking at the um, water fountain. And then, you know, um, Elliot Gould giving the cigar to Don Cheadle saying the letter saved my life. All of it works so well. And then the final scene in the airport between the three of them and then, you know, David Paymer getting his payout, just all of it works so well. So that's why I like it more than Ocean's Eleven. I think it's a it's a better script and a, a, just a more professional film than the first one. If I can say that, I mean, sure, why not? <laughs> I'm trying to find the right word beyond professional, but it just feels like it's just a, I don't know, a tighter film. That's it, a tighter film than the first one. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. See, I think the the bar was set weirdly high on the first one mm. for me because mm. I'm all in favor of if we're going to remake a film, let's remake a, a bad one. <laughs> Yeah, right. Because Ocean's Eleven, the yeah. original, is not a good movie, and I um, and I'm a Sinatra fan. It is not a good movie. Yeah. But that being said, it's like, dude, are you guys trying to say you're the Rat Pack? Like that's where the bar gets elevated. And I'm not saying the movie is good, but it's just right. like part of the sell of this is the fact that it is they're a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. And they're just having fun making movies together. Right. So to try and kind of compare yourselves to that, even if you're not trying to directly do a point, you know, an A to B type of situation, right. You're still going to get the comparisons because you're remaking the quintessential Rat Pack film. Yes. Um, And 
to actually get all these guys with seemingly what on the outside, you would not be surprised if they had like huge egos because they're just massive stars Yeah, and they all agree. Nope. We're going to show up. We're going to have a good time. And that translates onto film. They look like they're having, they look like they're having so much fun. You want to be there with them being, you know, buddy. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So everything that comes after that is, 11 sets the stage for i don't mind 12 it's not great or anything it's not it's not it's terrible seems strong (laughs) it's bad dude i mean okay well i'm not gonna fight play herself that just seems weird so um would you rather have had more bruno you wanted more bruno (laughs) didn't you they should have given him a harmonica and you would have been like dude you know you're pulling in my hawk strings he, sh- just... he shows up he, he's better suited showing up in expendables than he is showing up in fucking oceans 11 or oceans 12 right so yeah i was shocked moment. he was in oceans 12 yeah i know I like, never in a million oh. years did i think he was friends with these people julia yeah. yes the oh, rest sure. of them no sure. mm-hmm. um i agree but yeah and then the the casting too like of course, the Clooney's, Pitts, Damon's, Cheadles, but it's the Goulds yeah. and Khan. For Christ's sake, Scott Khan and Casey Affleck before he got his push. But those are the three where they nailed it. Yeah. And I never would have picked, especially Khan and Affleck. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And of I'm going to say it a third time. Khan is the one that blows my mind because... <laughs> Hawaii Five O seems about what I think. Yeah, Scott Con should be doing. Scott Con is about that level. Yeah, you're 100 yeah. right. <laughs> but to see him fit into this ensemble magnificently, yeah, I think it's a testament to all involved, from yeah. director on through, where they made a level playing field. And uh, yeah, I don't know, but Thirteen is great too. Yeah, yeah, Thirteen is great. All right, what's your um, number one? Uh, my one is Casino. That's my one, too. Yeah, absolutely. Gro- has grown so much on me over time. Mm-hmm. It's on Peacock. I watched it, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. Like, stayed up to 1 a.m. watching it on Peacock. From beginning. Because I hadn't seen it in a while. I was like, ah, fuck it. I was watching an hour. And next thing you know, I'm up till 1 a.m. finishing it off. Uh, it is such a great performance from Pesci. I prefer him in this movie, I think. More than good. Stop your stop right there. I'm just telling you, I prefer him more in this movie than in Goodfellas. And but I prefer De Niro in Goodfellas than him in this movie. That being said, he's great in the film. He's an interesting protagonist uh, because he's got a lot of fucking flaws. And you you're on his side, but you also are like, dude, you're really unself-aware of how much you need to be in the spotlight. So when Pesci calls him out about it, you're you're almost confused because they're both mm. calling each other out and they're both right. So you're just like, where the fuck do I land in this movie, right? And But it's so interesting to watch it. And the voiceover is so well done by De Niro throughout Sharon Stone, although I wish you could cut her out of the movie. She serves the purpose that she serves. Rickles is great in the film. Um, and the weird yeah. stuff that goes on throughout that whole movie um, just gives you an idea what Vegas was like at that time before, as they said in the movie, all the moms started showing up and dad showing up on vacation. There was a time where there was this real um, 
undercurrent of danger throughout that city that was an element of everything that went on in that city so um you understood why it was the way it was and how you uh, you know a gang could take control of the place a gangster in like uh 94 or 5 or something Mm. my buddy john his family took a family vacation to vegas oh and all of us were like the the whole family is going to vegas (laughs) You sure? My parents were the ones that were that. That's where I kind of yeah took my cue from. My parents are like, the whole family's going to Vegas, and then he got back and he's like, dude, there's pools and there's this and there's there's oh. you know they were trying to make it family friendly, right? To get more people in there, but yeah, the um, Vegas was a lot of what the portrayal of casino mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. and I agree with your original statement of this movie has gotten better in time. I thought yeah. it was I thought it was just okay when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. And then a few years later saw it again. I was like it's a Scorsese. I'm kind of in a mob mood. Like it was on something, so I watched it and I was like that's pretty good. Yeah. And then just seeing it over which is weird cuz a lot of the other Scorsese's they hit me. I like them from jump. Mm-hmm. But this and Wolf of Wall Street both. Mm-hmm. It took time and eventually crept up and up and up on the list of how much I enjoy the film. Um, I'm overdue for a Wolf rewatch. I'm overdue for a Wolf rewatch. Yeah. I agree. I, yeah. I watched uh, the scene where he's trying to get all his, he's just start starting. Uh, was it uh Stratford Oakmont Strat Stratton Oakford? What is the name of the bullshit company that he creates that sells yeah. the penny stocks for huge markups? Yeah. But when he's getting his friends and they're sitting around that table and he's like, sell me this pen. And then just like, whatever, supply and demand. And then the John Barenthal. But all that, I watched that whole sequence when they get the garage and then the build up. Yeah. And then eventually it boils over into they have the full floor uh, type of thing. But yeah, I'll go back for scenes in that one all the time. The stuff with him and Jonah, I go back to and watch all the time. Yeah, them smoking crack. <laughs> yeah, and then also yeah. him, like sell me. Wait, what? You make this much? Tell me, is I'll go fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. right now. That whole tell me, I'll quit my fucking job right now. It's great. And, oh, I love the oh. the Caprio's like, hey, you know what? Can I ask you something? And Jonah Hill's like, yeah, you know, with those huge teeth, yeah, whatever yeah. you want. What do you want? <laughs> Yeah, it's like I heard this uh, crazy thing around the building. You know what? It's probably nothing. <laughs> and the whole like, oh, I heard you're married to your cousin. It's like, well, you know, it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the whole. My cousin grew up hot, and my friends were trying to fuck her, and I wasn't gonna let my friends fuck her. This <laughs> is like, oh, oh, this got, oh, oh yeah, it's so a- creepy. Yeah. <laughs> And the fact that, that that dude ended up becoming incredibly wealthy. Yeah, right, right. Uh, is It's mind-blowing. Yeah, points to where maybe the system fails somebody. <laughs> and then, yeah. But where you wish you had figured out that system so you could have been in the same boat, for sure. Yeah. But like in Casino, hmm. I just watched like maybe maybe two weeks ago, maybe three hmm. weeks ago. But the scene where Pesci wants his money back from the banker. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't know something about me. Maybe maybe we, you, know, I should, you should understand. Because if I show up on Monday morning and you don't have my money, I'm going to crack your fucking skull. Yeah. And the guy's like, what? He can't talk well, I mean, to me like that. 
listen, you made an investment. Not all, I can't guarantee you. I don't give a fuck with that. You're giving my money back. And De Niro's just standing there watching all of it. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. He's not betraying because you can't yeah. do that in that instance. And as soon as the guy walks out, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't talk to him like that. Oh, I love that pivot. Cause you, yeah, you can't talk about family business oh. in front of others. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's. Have you watched the, the, the um, outtakes? Or the deleted scenes. I mean, I've seen some of them, but is there one well, in particular? Yeah, the one with Rickles where he is calling out De Niro for because De oh, Niro he's... messed up a line or something like that. Where they're sitting at the bar in his house. Yeah, and and he is Rickles just goes in on De Niro, just goes in on him, going like, "Bobby, it's a fun, you know, you sit around, you mumble around. I can barely understand half your dialogue yeah. as it is. So for God's sakes, you can't study the lines in between the times we were doing. I mean, I, I know you're doing those character work and it's a great actor, but for the love of God, it's a fucking line. And just the way he's like, and De Niro is uh, it's trying not to break. And yeah, well, he's just sitting there like doing that shoulder yeah, shake. I can't remember whose AFI Ugh. salute to whatever award where they win. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where he stands up because he, he's done a few of them. Oh, yeah. And he's I've watched great. them all. Oh, my God. But he stands up. He always just sitting in the crowd. He's never on stage. And he stands up and he gives his roast from the crowd. But my favorite is... I think it's for Scorsese's yeah, that they're doing. That's a good one. And with the oh. De Niro, and he's like, you know, I worked a lot with you know, Robert De Niro, one of the best actors in his generation. You ask him. You ask him. <laughs> He'll tell you. He'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't even finish that sentence. Just fully implying, this isn't me saying it. He's fucking told me this so many times that I'm sick of it. And we all know it. Like, it's a known thing that this is all he talks about is how amazing oh. he is. You his ask him. Best. You his ask rest. him. Oh, so the, the, doesn't he lead by saying Marty? Because you've never made a good movie. You, you've never made a movie I enjoy. But yeah. then by the end, he delivers these really sweet, heartfelt. Um, oh, it's always and, yeah. From the bottom of my heart, so great. My so wife great. and I cherish the time yeah. that you know we've spent together with you, and yeah, it's always sincere. It's so so. It, that's how you do a roast. That's how you do a roast, and you never get that in the fucking Comedy Central roasts. But Rickles knew because he's from the old school, like the fucking. Well, he old knows comedy, the people he's talking first. about. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. Now, if you watched all the Dean Martins, oh. I'm sure there's quite a few people he doesn't know. Still good at it. Those are, but brutal, uh, you can't get away with fucking nine tenths of that comedy nowadays. Oh my god, Don Rickles wouldn't have a career. <laughs> You're 100 percent right. 100 yeah. percent right, dude. I, I saw him, you know, right before he passed, mm. and. uh you know, it's one of, it doesn't matter. So I'm right before it passed and the whole act yeah. wasn't PC for the year that I saw it in, let alone now. <laughs> and it's a multicultural audience that all knows oh, yeah. this dude doesn't mean a word of it. Right. Plus a lot of these jokes were written 40 years ago. Yeah. 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 And he's still doing a lot of like, yeah. anti-Japanese stuff because he was in the war and that shit killed for 20 years so he just kept it in his act. Yeah. Uh, you know what you're going in for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Everyone knew. Everyone knew. And you, if you're going to a Don Rickles show and you don't know that he's going to make these off-color jokes. and About every, yeah, everything. Yeah, about every race, every, including himself. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you don't understand what the hell's going on. <laughs> and I've seen him do those jokes to the person's face. Yeah, the the Sinatra stuff on Carson. He goes after Sinatra all the time, right to his face. It's genius, man. Genius yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. 
I, they don't make them anymore. I'm sorry, man. I don't mean to be a freaking old guy in the room, but they, there's no comedians like that anymore, in my opinion. Anyway. There are, <sighs> but okay. they aren't allowed the platform that Rickles. Yeah, Burr is like the closest. And even he's like the bridge, in a way. You would know better than I, of course, since it's your profession. Um, all right. Well, there we go. That's our top 10 uh, film set in Las Vegas. Let's uh, let's wrap this up and get the hell on out of here. Do we get a uh, Chuck email back with his uh, list? I will pull it up. No, we did not. Okay. All right. Well, we'll read it on a future show, as Matt said, uh, Chuck. So, but Charles Clark, we appreciate you sending in this uh, topic. Uh, we, uh, you know, for all our patients, we appreciate them sending in this topic. Uh, do we want to put this list together? Uh, yeah. So, Casinos obviously won. Yep. Do you want to say Oceans 11 slash 12 is two? Sure. 13, you mean? Yeah, sorry. How dare you. All right. So now Rango is two, seven, eight. Okay. What do you have? I'm, I have it at eight. All right. Then Hangover is your three. Hangover is my three, yes. So that's three, eight. Okay. We both have Fright Night at seven, Fear and Loathing. Or pardon me, Las Vegas is four, five. So I, okay. I'd probably say leaving Las Vegas, then Rango, then The Hangover. Okay. Sounds good. Just rosining up the bow here. All right. Where does that put us at? That's one through five. Oh, shit. All right. Um, Casino Ocean's 13, The Hangover, and Leave Las Vegas. So, Bugsy is my five. Did we put Bugsy in yet? No, that's my nine, but we've got Fright Night both at our seven. Okay. We so can does move. five, nine beats seven, seven? Probably. I think if five elevates it, right? Yeah. Okay. So, we'll go Bugsy, then Fright Night. Okay. Um, And then that's it. That's all our commonality. So, I have okay. my number three. Okay, go ahead. Behind the candelabra. Uh, I have my six. So do I. What do you have with your six? Fear and loathing. Which is uh, all right. Swingers. I'm gonna flip. Got the coin right here. All right, my man. All right, here we go. Don't bounce across the room. Swingers, it is. Oh, nice. What does that put us at? That is done. We are finished with the list. All right. Here we go. The top 10 film set in Vegas. Yeah. At number 10. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. At number nine. Swingers. At number eight. Behind the Candelabra. At number seven. Fright Night. At number six. Bugsy. At number five. The Hangover. At number four, Rango. At number three, Leaving Las Vegas. At number two, Oceans 11 slash 13. And our number one film set in Las Vegas is? Is Casino. Casino. How many blueberries you put in the muffins? I want to put, I want you to put the exact oh. amount of blueberries in every muffin. Yeah, that's that's beyond crazy. <laughs> Having to the the time it would take. I love to the sure. Do you know how long that would take? 
I don't care how long it takes. Just fucking get it done. That's hilarious. All right. Well, there you go. That's our our uh, top ten films set Las Vegas. Thank you, everybody, for uh, watching us or listening to us. We appreciate it madly. Remember, if you listen to us, you can always watch us on the uh, top ten YouTube channel. Matt, what else do we have to tell them? You can follow the show on Twitter at Top Ten Show, all spelled out, and on Instagram and YouTube, it's forward slash the Top Ten Podcast with the number ten. And if you'd like to suggest a topic like Mr. Charles Clark, uh, you can head to patreon.com forward slash the top 10 with the number 10 and his over there. And Charles, we will read your list on next week's show. So please yeah. let us know what your Vegas uh, movies are, sir. Come on, Charles. And you can follow me anywhere at Mad Nost. Uh, check out my other show called Settle the Score. You can find that anywhere you get podcasts. Otherwise, you can go to youtube.com forward slash Matt Nost. And uh, check out Settle the Score over there. And that is it for me this week. Nice. Uh, that's me. You can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Outlaw Nation on Twitch. And um, uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says. Uh, and my other podcast, The Cinephiles, uh, The Geek Buddies, uh, and The Hot Mic, which is uh, blowing up right now. So thank you all so much for listening to us here on the Top 10. Uh, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode down the road. Peace. Ooh.